You're listening to ClareCast with Jette Hartimer. And uh, my guest today is David Bailey. And David, you live in France. I live in Copenhagen. And now we sit here in a hotel room in, <laughs> in where are we? Aalborg. <laughs> We're in Aalborg. Yeah. So uh, nice to meet you. And uh, I thought maybe you could uh, share something about yourself, what you're doing and why are we here? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm English. Um, I was born near Dover uh, into a, a, a family. Well, my father was a healer, my grandfather was a healer, and um, I grew up in a, in a household that uh, every day I had uh, clairvoyance, tarot card readers, um, people who did trance, astrology, you name it, they came. Uh, in in England, um, there's a an association of healers with about six thousand members, and my father was president of that for seven years. And uh, so every day, people would come to the house or ring. Um, and so I had an experience as a young boy and a teenager of things I thought everybody else did, but they don't. And uh, I was very fortunate in the fact that my grandfather, back uh, about 1910, went to Canada with his family. Uh, his father had work over there. And whilst he was there, being a young man, somehow he got involved and spent a lot of time with the traditional Canadian Indians at that time. It must have been fantastic because what he when I was old enough, what he shared with me, what he'd seen with levitation, with healing, working with the stars, and then them talking to their ancestors and getting the replies. But was also more fantastic for me, he used to share that at the end of the evening, they would often sit around the campfire and their ancestors would actually materialize, solid like you and I. I'd never seen that, never heard of it of today, but he explained that's what they did. So he said, David, your job is to find out the truth and the false in the, li the life you're going to live and try to find some of the things that I've seen. But no, they do exist and you don't need any trickery. It will happen. So at the same time, my mother was uh, headmistress, my father was senior lecturer in chemistry. When I was five, they decided I was going to learn the piano. So every Wednesday evening, I'd be taken around the corner to the little old lady who I had my piano lessons and I wasn't a prodigy. I just was made to learn the piano by mother. Thank God she did, because today, I just wouldn't be able to do what I can do without the technique and what have you. So by the time I was 12 or 13, I was quite good. And I was studying for my exams of, in music. And I would sit in, at my piano, um, which was a real piano, not the, the modern electric piano that people have. It was a real piano. <coughs> and it was like... Uh, a cloud that would come behind me. That's the best way I can describe it because people say, was there a person? Was it Chopin? Was it Beethoven? Was it Handel? No, no, no. It wasn't a person. It wasn't 
an entity, as people would say. It was just a cloud of energy that was really beautiful. It was a lovely feeling. And it would sort of come over the top of my head and start tickling my face. And my fingers would start to twitch as though they, they wanted to play, but I hadn't got any music in front of me. <clears throat> I wasn't good enough to be able to improvise or compose. So I put my hands on the keyboard and they suddenly started playing. And they were short, very nice little pieces that I got no idea what they were going to do. And so I spoke to my grandfather and he said, look, I think that you are doing like automatic writing, but automatic playing. And I said, well, what's that? He said, well, there are certain people that can hold a pen. And when they put it on the, <coughs> excuse me, on the paper, um, it will start to write. Now, it might be beautiful poetry. It might be a, a lovely message, <coughs> wise words, but it's always beautiful. It's never nonsense. And uh, it's a gift that some people have. They, they, they can't control it. The hand just suddenly starts writing, so it belongs to somebody else. So he said, I think you're doing the same thing with playing the music. So I said, well, what do I do? He said, just play. Play, let it play. <coughs> Don't decide what you've got to do, so just play. So that's what I did. And, and when it all started, I would have people come to the house and or wherever I was and I said would you come and sit by the piano I just want to play you in music well what does that mean I just didn't do anything apart from look at the person I didn't want to connect to their head because that's all their mortgage and their house and their cars and their family and their divorce and everything like that I wanted just to play the real them in music like the soul Exactly, so connecting to exactly soul, to yeah. the soul, the real them, the, the thing that lasts after whatever happens to the body. And uh, I didn't understand it, but that's what I knew I had to do. And so people would sit beside me and I'd, I'd start to play. Um, again, I had no idea what I was playing. The hands would play by themselves. And so often people would just have tears for falling. And they'd say, if they, that they're falling because you've played me, you've touched me. How did you know? I didn't know. I just played. And sometimes the music would sound a similar style. And I said to Grandad, what about this? He said, look, if you have a dog whistle and you're, you blow that for your dog, the dog will come, but you don't hear the whistle. It's of a different frequency to what our ears can hear. He said, so the whole thing, there's far more to sound than our ears can hear, and there's far more to what we can see. So he said, just play, because it's not what the person is hearing. It's what that is carrying in the music, the energy, that is touching the real person, that is allowing them like to connect to themselves. Suddenly they've found the real them. But there's no words for that. One of the things, the expression, is tears. Or just silence. Just, wow, what was that? I couldn't control it. I couldn't have somebody sit beside me and say, right, I'm now going to make you cry. That never worked. That's never what's happening. It's just let the music talk.
And so I developed quite an interest in, shall we say, alternative things and thinking because of the people I knew. And my first uh, encounter experience was I changed schools <laughs> and uh, I came home one day and my grandmother had an elderly Scottish clairvoyant staying with us and this lady said to me David I need to talk to you I need to tell you some things I said I can't because I've got geography homework to do and there's a lot she said don't you worry come and sit down beside me I'm going to talk to you you need to know some things and the geography master won't be at school tomorrow anyway well I trusted her and the next day I went to school and uh, all my friends said oh geography homework how long did that take you last night it took us sort of two hours I said I haven't done it they said but you'll get sent to the headmaster <clears throat> and at that time you'll lose your Saturday morning freedom I said don't you worry he won't be here today oh how do you know? Well then how do you explain, explain to 30 friends at school that your grandmother had an elderly Scottish clairvoyant who told you she, he wouldn't be there so I just said don't worry he won't be there. Well he wasn't so I spent the whole period copying my friend's homework so I got that done so I didn't get into trouble. But a boy of 12 or 13, how did she know? That was pretty good you know, a clairvoyant would say, well, mummy's going to buy you some new shoes or something. It meant nothing to a 12-year-old, but that was, how did she know that the master at school wasn't going to? There must be something, as Grandad says, that we can't see or hear, that some people can see or can hear. So I carried on playing, and I went to uh, 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 Trinity uh, in London, which is part of London University, and in the English system, I effectively became a doctor of music four times over. Um, it's a different system, I know, to other countries in Europe, but uh, I became a concert pianist. I studied the classics. But I decided when I finished, I didn't want to, to go into the world of classics because there were so many people doing that. And... Uh, I wasn't brilliant, brilliant. I was just a very good pianist. So I decided I wanted to do my own evening of music. <clears throat> An evening of music um, of popular melodies. Melodies from Mozart through to Phantom of the Opera, from Abba through to uh, Edith Piaf or Glenn Miller. Just melodies people would enjoy, might have played themselves, but just a homely evening and I had a, an old-fashioned London agent who had uh, represented a lot of the big stars during the wartime and he said to me David you know if we're going to do this big tour which we ended up doing you must remember one thing people are important they are not just numbers they have their own personality their own character their own soul if you like and if you go around the theatres and you present yourself on stage as Mr Special Pianist and you know dismiss the audience just allow them to have bought a ticket and they're a number he said you will have a very short career because nobody will come back so please make some contact with the people 
So first of all, it was a homely evening. Secondly, I decided I would say goodbye to everybody. So wherever I was, obviously in the big theatres, I could only uh, go to one foyer but uh, of the several. But I always went into the foyer to say goodbye to people. So I'd stand there and I'd, you know, people would wave their hand as they went out and say, goodbye, David, thank you for a lovely evening, really great, love those melodies, whatever it was. And then they started to say to me, somebody come up and take my hand and say, I came with a bad back and it's got better. What did you do to me? My knee's better. My headache's gone. My... And so it carried on. So it, it ended up that 20 to 30% of the audience made a remark to me, a comment to me as they left, that something had changed. I didn't know what was happening. All I knew, I was on the stage and I was playing. What was interesting was that sometimes people would walk out and say, uh, when you played that piece, what was it that came on stage behind you? What was that energy? They, they felt, they saw something. Yes, I could feel it, but I could not stand up on stage or in my publicity to say, hey guys, this is the new healing pianist, come and get better by listening. That was just not my, my thing. <clears throat> because I began to learn more and more that it wasn't David. Yes, my hands played. The energy flowed through my fingers. But David was only the channel. And yes, you can say without David you don't get the music. But this energy, this power did not come from me. It came through me. And I had no control on it. I also did not want control on it because we've got brains, we've got what we understand of this world. But as somebody said to me the other day, <coughs> if you look out of the, the window and there's a lovely blue sky, that's what you see now. At night you'll see it full of stars. And with the latest telescope you can have, if you look through that and started to count the stars, it would take you two and a half thousand years to count them all. And then you'd probably not get to the end. So w this is so big and it is so beautiful when you can see the effect on people as they are touched. Uh, and it can be a little child that suddenly stops in his tracks and tears come or wants to listen to the music again and again or go to sleep to it. Oh, there are so many stories. But the thing that concerned me as I, I got more, well, I grew up, I got older, and I became more in this subject, is that I met people who said, I'm a healer. I, I. And I looked and I, I just felt it was so wrong. And they were saying, oh yes, but I heal migraines, I heal this, I do that. And you know, when, when I had my first healing, uh, that happened for me it was a big big lesson <clears throat> and it was beautifully done by the world we can't see because I was playing uh, a theatre at Paynton in South Devon in southwest of England afternoon show there were 500 people in the theatre it was full theatre and I got to the end of the first half the curtain came down and as it came down there was a man on the front row who started to jump up and down and cheer and yell and what have you. And I thought, 
really, what a place to put somebody who's handicapped or autistic. Because as an artist, um, you, you, you do need to know, be told by the, the directors or the management of the theatres, because these people, as he was, tend to make a noise. And if you're concentrating what you're playing and suddenly there's a funny noise from sort of over to your left or to your right, you get worried whether somebody's been taken ill. And uh, anyhow, there he was on the front row and nobody had told me. Now, I may need to make it clear, I love to play for autistic, I love to play for handicapped people. But when you're with the general public, you everybody has to respect situations. Put him on the front row, why? I was just, the second half started and I thought, my God, he's there again. And what am I going to do? And my whole second half, I got more and more angry. And I thought, this, this theatre has no passageway, no, no way round the back from the stage to the foyer. I have to come down four steps off the front of the stage and through the aisle to get to the... F and if he's there, is he going to jump up and catch me before I can get past him? So my whole of the second half was ruined for me because I was just angry and planning my escape, you know? <clears throat> Anyhow, I got to the end curtain came down went up I ran down the four steps but of course he beat me he got me around the neck with his arms thank you David thank you David oh I don't know how to say thank you I said yes but please let me go because I have to see the rest of the audience go out I will talk to you later but please please let me go and I sort of forced his arms off me and I started to walk down the aisle in the middle of the theatre and I heard my stage manager's voice call me he said David I said yes Roger he said, go back to him. I said, what? Go back to him. Well, I do as I'm told by my stage manager. So I went back to him and there was this man standing in tears. And uh, I looked at him and I said, I'm really very, very sorry. I, I have never meant to uh, insult you or hurt you. Um, but please I do have the rest of the audience to say goodbye to he said David you wouldn't know how could you know because I brought my wife this afternoon uh, in a wheelchair um, nine months ago she had in English it's called a stroke she could only move her head the rest of her body was didn't work As she said at the end of the, the uh, first half her foot was tapping to your music. That's why I was so excited. But now she's standing up over there. Everything's come back. Her whole body's working normally. And she's walking home with her friends. We don't need the wheelchair. That was a huge shock for me. Because David the Brain had thought, we've got a mentally handicapped person here, autistic, who's a bit loud, a bit rude, a bit out of control how wrong I was and what the effect of that the music on that lady yes I've asked doctors and psychiatrists how they would explain that and they've all gone down into complicated ideas and in the end I said I don't care because it was whilst the music was being played that happened and for that lady all that mattered was she got her life back, which she did. And I realized at that moment, 
the treasure that was around that we could all benefit from. And that's so, so important. Um, so I have always now held my fingers and the music with very great respect because I don't know sometimes when I play now for people they will say oh that's very pleasant David yeah I don't know what this tears business is I don't know what's I said well neither do I but that's your music and then they'll ring me or send me an email three or four days later and said I put the CD in the car to go to work and I couldn't move I spent half an hour in tears or I spent the morning just sitting in the car because I had found me and I just trust my fingers to be the extension of the treasure. Do you think we could have you to play two minutes of music for us, all the listeners to this program? Of course, no problem. Just give me a minute and we'll connect it in. So that's just a little moment. Um, so I made my first CD and this was uh, just a very gentle CD that a, f a friend of mine who was an eye surgeon in London, um, he had one for his own relaxation at the end of the day. and. He was a friend of Mother Teresa. Of course, we're going back a number of years. And she asked him to go to Calcutta to do operations on 50 children. 
which he did. And when he got there, she got well over 200 for him. And he told me, he came back, and he said, David, I didn't know what to do. I went outside, and I just looked at that sky and said, look, please help. What? And I, he said, I heard a voice that said, put David's music on. So he said, I went back in, I put the music on, and all the children just went off to sleep. So with two other doctors, he just eked out, used a little tiny bit of anaesthetic in the music, and was able to do all the um, eye operations. So Mother Teresa sent me a message to say, David, you have a huge gift, give it to the world. It's important, just give this music to the world. But that's so easy said, how? Um, so all the clairvoyant friends of my parents would just say, David, play. Granddad would say, just play, just play. One day um, after one of the shows, there was a lady who came to speak to me. She said, I've driven 300 kilometers to come and say thank you. I said, well, that's really kind. I hope you've enjoyed this evening's concert. She said, no, no, it's nothing to do with the concert. She said, I'm 72. And 10 months ago, I was diagnosed to lose both of my breasts. She said, I'd heard about you, heard about your music, so I wrote to your father and asked him to send me a CD, which he did. And I played it every day. It gave me such strength that uh, I asked the hospital to play it during the operation, which they did. And then I've played it every day since. It's just, I've got my old self pack. Yes, I've had the operation, but I've, it gave me such strength to be me again. And so I've come to say thank you. But here's the point. I didn't know this lady. I didn't know she'd written to Dad. I didn't know that she got a CD. I didn't know of her illness. It's nothing to do with me, this. This is just the fact that these fingers have played some music that is carrying a vibration. And as my sort of life has gone through, and especially over the, the recent years, I've seen, as we can see, um, universities making um, analysis of music as to how it affects the body. It's just fantastic that they're doing this. But I think the whole thing is much bigger than that. That They're, they're lim limiting to the vibrations that we can hear without allowing the whole thing to be much freer and much bigger to allow this treasure to know what the person needs. So the long and the short is I carried on on uh, playing. But there was another side that Grandad had talked about, and this is a side that fascinated me. Because as I said in the beginning, that he had seen the ancestors appear. And solid, like you and I, be, and I thought, where does this happen? Because today we've got what I consider ridiculous um, ghost hunting programs on television. Um, 
that are quite crazy. They're, 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 in my opinion, they, they, they don't know what they're doing. They're dealing with electromagnetic energies that are just memories. And uh, there are also some very serious times where people are trying to contact, to, to tell somebody they're okay, and they're just treated as a joke. And I get very sad when I see this. But of course, it's journalism, it's television, and that's what Grandad said. You've got to look for the truth and the false. So where do I find this possibility of seeing it? Because the Indians of 100 years ago are not there today. And I was in England. So I, I hunted round and I discovered through research <clears throat> that you have a clairvoyant and that's somebody who can see things they get images and they see pictures and they can tell you things you can get people who are clairaudient which means they hear something you then have people who do trance and that is where they go quiet <clears throat> and another energy another person will come in and use their body to talk but it's still the person the human in front of me <clears throat> then there's somebody who is called a physical medium now this is the person in their presence things physically happen and they're quite rare there are a lot of people who joke about doing it but the real people that this happens big time are very rare and I hunted round and I found a guy called Colin Fry. Colin, um, he has a, a centre in Sweden and one in Spain at the moment and his own programme from time to time on Sky Television. Colin is a physical medium. That means in his presence, stuff happens. Uh, it also involves what's called ectoplasm, which we've all got in our body and uh, it, it flows out of the body, um, out of the mouth, out of the nose, out of the ears. It's just like um, a flowing mist. So how do I know, David, what you're talking about? You've read it? No, I've seen it. And I'll explain that in just a little minute. <clears throat> because the other thing that's important is in our heads, we have pineal and pituitary glands, the epiphyse. And these are like the um, satellite disks that will pick up the connection from the world we can't see. We've all got them. You can't shut it down. It's needed. They're the controllers of the body. And they work in the dark. So when you're with one of these people, like Colin, you, you get 20 people together and you will sit in the dark. Oh, this isn't frightening. This is real. This is fantastic. The treasure is able to make it's felt. It's, it, it make itself felt. And just out of interest, it happens at the Vatican. The Pope does it. Won't tell anybody, but that's they know this in the, in the Vatican and practice it, practice it too. And the other little interesting thing. If you follow the Bible story, after Jesus had died in the story, there was a time 
in a short period afterwards that the disciples met in the upper room, locked the door, and Jesus appeared in the middle of them. Mm. I wonder what was happening. It didn't say it was in the dark, but what they were doing was exactly what Colin does and what, what certain people do. So it's not something new, it's something that's beautiful. And so I sat with Colin. What does that mean? Well, Colin sat in the corner, the lights were turned out, we just sat quiet. And then suddenly, from up in the ceiling, down by the floor, there'd be voices talking. And they would be a guide, there'd be uh, a person in the family, just different people wishing to speak to somebody in the room. So I was sitting there and suddenly this voice up at the ceiling said, Mr. David Bailey, would you, would you stand up please? stood up no problem would you hold your right hand out so I held my right hand out and I thought that I was going to get a coin appear in my hand a statue a rosary a flower a ring what's called an apple these are solid things that are always there once they've arrived they stay with you and uh, I've had these before and that's what I thought I was going to get the next thing there was an elderly gentleman standing in front of me I'd said it was in the dark. Yes, it is in the dark, but you can somehow see because there's a, a light about this, the, the energy of the person. But he was solid. His hand came out and his, his hand took mine. Very, it, was, it was as solid as my hand. I was able to feel it. And he said, uh, my name is George Daisley and I've recently passed to this world, i.e. he died recently. Um, but I've been looking round for somebody to leave my gifts with and I've decided to leave them with you. Make good use of them, my man. The hand slowly disappeared and he disappeared. Well, at the end, everybody was in tears and I looked at them and I said, you know, they said, but George Daisley came back. I said, yes, but who's George Daisley? I don't know George Daisley. They said, David, in England in the 1940s and 50s, we, of course, still have the Albert Hall in London, which is a 5,000-seater. And uh, he used to have this to himself. And people would come from Scotland, from Wales, to the West Country, the whole of England, to have an evening of clairvoyance with him, plus his healing, because he was very powerful. He then retired and went to Santa Barbara where he um, could heal at a distance. He was known to be able to do this throughout the world. And he's come back and he's left you his gifts. Make good use of them, my man. How? You've got Mother Teresa saying give the music to the world. Now he's saying make good use of the gifts. This was very, very serious to me. It wasn't just, I oh, was well, somebody's, you know, giving you a birthday present and you don't have to open it. This was a gift from the world we can't see, the treasure to help others. And that's made me think an awful lot. And I have this recorded. They recorded the event, so I, I have the whole recording on this, which is fascinating. Should we have another piece of music? Yes, please.
so the whole of this time that I was doing the, the concerts, I was noticing things were happening with melodies people knew. And I also played when I could for individual people. But time came where I needed to play for far more people, like a group of people of 50, 100, 500, but to allow my music to just happen. And of course, when I play for an individual, I'm asking to link to the, the soul of the person. And I think one of the first times uh, it was a huge experience, a beautiful experience, I was invited to go down to Rome in Italy and there was uh, one of the top television personalities there who loved the work that I did, loved my music and he was doing an afternoon um, actually for Alcoholics Anonymous and <clears throat> he said David I'd like you to come and play but it's going to be a surprise well he um, hired the most beautiful big concert grand for me and of course when I have a, a three metre concert grand on a stage in a theatre there were 1500 people or so there <clears throat> but what was so special for him with him was the fact that he told people that these were general public. These were not people who were open to alternative things. Um, I mean, some were, of course, but it wasn't. It was an Alcoholics Anonymous at the time. And he went out on stage and he said, I have a surprise. He said, the first thing is I want everybody to turn off their mobile phones. He said, I have an absolute treasure. He said, I'd like to present somebody who's going to play some angel music for you. Musica de les Angeli, as he called it. He said, but you mustn't move. Just be completely still, because the angels will come close. And I was amazed. I know it was him telling people. But the whole theatre went quiet. And he said, please don't applaud at the end no applause just let the, I will come back and talk he then asked me just to walk quietly onto the stage and play to say nothing not to look at the audience and I just asked in my mind please may we have music for everybody here whether the angels come through the music it's beautiful I just needed music for them and I started to play and although it's silent, you could hear probably two-thirds of the audience just tears fall. And I carried on playing. And it was fantastic, not because of David playing, but to allow that treasure, all those people, to experience. And when I'd finished, nobody applauded beautiful the silence and so the difference is my request when it's with somebody's individual I say for them if it's for 500 I ask for them 
If it's to help children in the hospice, I ask for music and all the people that are with me, please don't get involved in sending your own control wishes. Just say, I'm here, please may the music flow through me to help a child, an old person in a hospital, somebody who's ill, somebody who's got drug problems, alcoholic problems, marriage problems, money problems, <coughs> whatever, just let it flow. But we can ask and then let go. So that's how I would handle the different situations. One of the things that I'd wanted to do since a child, um, and I've got no idea why, is I, I needed to play my music in Auschwitz, the concentration camp. Uh, it made no sense to me, but I knew I had to do it. So I moved to France eight years ago, and our next door neighbors came in for an evening. She was a therapist, he was a very wealthy businessman in London. And we talked about her work and my work and I played and he said to me at the end, well he said, is there anything you've not done in your life? I said, yes, there's one thing that's a puzzle to me, I don't know how because I need to play my music in Auschwitz, but you're not allowed to have music, it's silent place. So, he came back three days later he said, David, the other evening when we were talking, you didn't know that we didn't tell you, but we were Jewish. And he said, with my large business and contacts in London, I do actually know the rabbi in Auschwitz. And so I've spoken to him and you have full permission to go and play your music there. But you can't take a keyboard or a piano, you just have to take a CD player and choose your music or play your music and play it where you want. And by the way, here's th uh, air tickets for you and your stepson, Glenn, to go with you. Glenn was 45, so the stepson wasn't a young person. This is somebody who can accompany me. And um, your hotel. And um, also the next night, please, will you do a concert in the uh, uh, Galishwa Jewish Museum in Krakow as a tribute to all the great um, composers on Broadway? just as a complete balance. Well, of course, that was all the great musicals and they go great on the piano. We got to Auschwitz and uh, it was full of people. Uh, and I said to Glenn, what, what are we going to do? Because I've waited all my life to get here and now there's half the world here. It's so anyhow, we went into the first gas chamber, which was full of people. As I walked in, everybody walked out and I was left standing alone just with my CD player, which I turned on. I played for eight or nine minutes. As I turned the music off, the door opened and it filled out. That happened everywhere that I went that day. It was just incredible. What I did, I don't know, but I certainly did the whole of the camp. There wasn't a place we didn't go. Clairvoyants have said, oh, well, you cleared off, freed off spirits, you cleared the land. I just don't know. All I did was what I knew I had to do. And uh, so we came home with that little tick on my box. But now, what to do? Well, just keep playing, David. Don't worry where you're ever you're invited. Just go and just play. Um, 
So we'd moved to France and uh, I looked round to try and find another physical medium and uh, I couldn't find one. One of the, the great physical mediums that I, I had worked with for probably 40 times had uh, just gone to Australia. His name was David Thompson. And just before I moved to France, I had an extraordinary time with him because there was one time I wasn't there. And Glenn, my stepson, was there. And suddenly, as I explained, we sit in the dark, David's in the corner, and we have the voices, but they also put um, wood on the floor, so if somebody does materialise, and you can't see, you can hear. And there are various reasons, which I won't go into now, but there's no trickery in this. Um, there was a voice that said, um, uh, Glenn McLean, I want you to, can you give a message to David Bailey? Yes, of course, said Glenn. Would you tell him there's new music to be played and uh, <coughs> I will be with him? We'd just like to make this contact. So Glenn said yes, and may I ask who's speaking? So, the classic reply. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. So when Glenn told me this, I said, yes, but Glenn, I have a degree in music. I'm a doctor of music. I know, if I have to, how to write in the style of Mozart. And so to go out on a stage to say, hey everybody, I'm sitting here and I'm playing in the style of Mozart, or people are just going to say this is trickery, rubbish, because he knows he's a doctor of music, his profession. So I don't understand this. The next time I was there, and suddenly we, we heard a noise which we recognise as uh, somebody materialising and they walked across the, the floor and I somebody a hand hit my knee took my hand shook it and said may I introduce myself I'm Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart and I'd very much like to work with you I respect your playing so I said yes I'd love to work with you but I have a problem because I have a degree in music you know that <coughs> to go out on stage and play this is a new piece of Mozart you know I might get 10 out of 500 people who might believe me the rest just I don't understand of course I'll help but I said David you've misunderstood oh I'm sorry you will not be playing in the style of Mozart he said it's not my style you play you will just play but I will be standing behind you and as you play, I will be connecting through me the, the energy from the source, which is the same source as my music, through you. So there is the energy that goes everywhere. Oh. Sorry, got it. Now I understand, of course. Why not have a little bit of music now?
So having had this uh, Mozart experience, which I know was for real, um, and I did say earlier on I would share just a second about the ectoplasm, because at this this time they asked us to open the door to allow a little bit of light in so we could all clearly see and you could see from uh, the medium that there was like this um, fog mist coming out of the nose out of the, and it went right across the floor it's like a great big tie that came down and that's what they used to materialize in just fascinating just to share that I've seen it not just seen photographs so I get to France and I find as my life has just got to current day uh, I, I found somebody who did trance there and lots of information which talk brought me to Denmark I'm told to come to Denmark and virtually that evening I had an invitation to come and I was asked to come to the different affairs with uh, Dan Info in Copenhagen and Aarhus and Aalborg and when I was in Aarhus I did one of these groups and uh, there were probably 120 people there and people didn't know what to expect um, so I was sharing part of my story and playing the little pieces and what I wanted to share was what I call the treasure not the fact that they've had a, a talk by David but actually the music is played and the whole room has been alive with this unseen energy that is not frightening it is absolutely beautiful it's so safe and so I don't want to say holy because that's gone churchy but I, I, I it is it's a treasure it is in the presence of the stillness in presence of whoever created this it is that and is to allow that people to feel that that there's far more than their cars and their house and their family far far more than that and it's beautiful it's not frightening and on after I'd finished that there was a lady who came to see me she said I actually work for a bank I'm not a clairvoyant professional I need to tell you something David when you started to play she said I saw Mozart come and stand behind you and seemed to connect an energy through and I just thought that was so beautiful that she would never have known what had happened probably three years before um, and to say exactly the same words as he'd said I had felt but I don't feel like people behind me I don't it's this cloud it's always this beautiful energy and so <coughs> I wanted to be able to get into homes to every home could have some of the music played and by chance I was asked to play for Christine van Halsen on the famous program and that was so successful they they repeated it I believe 17 times on DK1 
and she was beautiful with me and uh, gave me some gave the music some beautiful comments but I had worn in English their braces <laughs> on the program and during the summer when I arrived by Copenhagen Airport or wherever, people come up to me and say, are you not the man who played the music for Christmas? Yes. When we were sitting around having our evening meal and that music came on the television, I cried. Tears just came. Something happened in our house. That's what I want. That's what my prayer is, that it could get everywhere, whether it's me playing live or whether it's my music just to allow this music to get into everybody's homes, everybody's aura. And so, honestly, if there's any way that you can help do this, um, for me to come to play for large groups, or just to be able to send a CD to a friend, have your own CD done, which is the key to you because when you've got your own CD and you know somebody that's not well you can use that just to hold the CD put it in the player and say would you send help to Georgina and that's all you have to do let the music do the rest you carry on with your day so if that interests you I've got a site which uh, is musedure.com which is m-u-s-e-d-y-e-u-x.com you can listen to the music there you can contact me there and if there's anything that you can do to help you be the channel for the music for the energy that's around you as much as it is me it's just the fact that my fingers it flows through the fingers how does it flow through you? It does. So just to make a little resume of what I've tried to explain. This music is unlimited. I've often used the word of healing. But you don't have to have a problem, you. You don't have to have a bad knee or a bad back. It could be an emotional problem. It could be just something a change of life that you've been looking for a, a new roadway a new pathway opening up and you don't know how to find it and it's not going to suddenly oh that cord is going to open the pathway but what it will it will change the vibration around you that will like a magnet will draw the right energy to you that suddenly how many times we all have suddenly thought of somebody and then they live the other side of the, the world almost or the other side of the country and certainly in my case I live in the south of England and this person lived in the north of England and I pulled up at a garage in the middle of England I pulled up at one pump and she pulled up in her car in the other pump the universe will if we allow the energy to be there and not start to control with our brain miracles can happen and so this music can help friends it can help family it can help whole energy in the home energy in the workplace energy in the planet it is unlimited 
All one has to do is to ask for the intention in the music because this music is the treasure. You see, we don't understand what this world that we can't see or can't hear, what it's all about. We know it's there, people can see it. And so within the music, it can also allow loved ones to come close, carry their energy, perhaps it's them, to become really close. So sometimes people say, but I, f I felt a hand touch my, I was thinking of my grandmother uh, whilst the music was playing, and I suddenly felt a, like a hand touch my face. There is no reason why that couldn't be your grandmother or a loved one. It's just a safe door. And this, it, it is so, so beautiful. I hope that you find your own special moment at some point. Sometimes it's just one note. It just touches. What was that? The music's for us all. Thank you, David. Thank you. Great, great pleasure.